continue preaching through the book of 1 John. And if you paid attention to the passage that Joseph read for us, you caught on to a theme. And it's not the happiest of themes to think about, but it's something that needs to be discussed and needs to be discussed a lot more. And that theme is sin. That's what John's writing about here. And he's writing about how we should deal with it and how the ways that a lot of times we, as Christians or non-Christians, deal with it very wrongly. Sin is the word that so many people try to avoid. Not enough churches really do preach about it, right? Sure, they say that Jesus saves us from our sins, but that's normally the, one of the only times we ever use that word a whole lot, even in a lot of churches. We don't give it the seriousness it needs. Why? Because no one likes to hear about sin because it forces us to examine our own hearts, right? When we talk about sin, it's impossible to not think about our own sin, and we don't like that. It makes us feel dirty. It makes us feel bad, right? But we have to. We love to make excuses for our sins, don't we? We come up with labels and words to distract us from what's really going on. I see this happen all the time, especially with students. Having been in youth ministry, both in schools and churches, for over a decade now, I've seen this happen a lot. Uh, I, I saw it happen a lot in school with students when I would call them out for being disruptive in class or doing something wrong. And one of their favorite excuses, they would look at me, and there was literally a time where I was in the middle of teaching, and there was a kid who was standing up backwards in his chair while I'm trying to teach the Bible to him. Seventh graders for you. <laughs> and, sorry, Carter. Um, but he's, <laughs> he stands up and he's doing that. And I call him down. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I know. Uh, I have ADHD. I'm really sorry. I'm like, that's, that's not an excuse. <laughs> you can't just throw that out there. I also have ADHD. If you've known me for long enough, you'll understand that I do. But that can't just be an excuse we make for having and committing a sin. Sure, it can be a real thing, but sin is still sin. One of my favorites, and by favorites I mean worst ones, was in youth ministry when a parent would come to me after you know having something called out that their kid has done, where their kid has been misbehaving, and the parent comes to me, and Jessica's been with me as parents have said this to us and to our face. They look at us and say, well, you know, kids will be kids, I guess. So just because they're young, it's okay for them to sin? What kind of excuse or what kind of message does that give to kids, <laughs> right? What kind of message does that give to teenagers? And the kid that was being addressed in this particular point was a high school student, <laughs> right? That the excuse is being made for. No, we have to start calling sin what it is. Because if we try to change the name and the wording, it really just becomes more dangerous in the end. Alex shared with me a story that I hadn't heard before. Um, just yesterday, I think it was, while we were, we were having a, a fun discussion about this passage, and I just had to share it with you. And so this is from Alex, so he gets to preach a little bit in today's sermon. He said, a pastor had been preaching a series of very serious sermons in his church on sin. And some of the people in the church were starting to get bothered by it. And so after a particular service, this lady comes up to the pastor and she goes, you know, pastor, you've really got to cool off and, you know, chill out on some of these sermons on sin. You've got to stop saying all the things we're doing are sins. It's really starting to come across wrong to us. You just need to call it something else. Well, this pastor had anticipated this kind of confrontation and even prepared for it. 
He said, okay, well, what about this? And he reaches in his jacket pocket and he pulls out a little glass bottle with the word poison written on it. He said, so what if I take this bottle and I pull off this label that says poison and I put something like lilac oil on it and then I give it to somebody? Does the different label change what's inside the bottle? No. In fact, changing the label only makes that bottle of poison much more dangerous because now the person that's receiving it doesn't actually know what's inside of it. Church, if we try to avoid sin or change the wording of sin, then we're only going to make it more dangerous in our lives and in the lives of the people that we encounter and that we talk about. We have to handle it seriously. John, in this passage, is writing to correct a number of misconceptions about sin in the church. And in this, we're going to be forced to dig deep into our own treatment of sin while discovering at the same time the amazing grace that our God offers in spite of our sin. So let's do that together. John starts here in this passage that honestly is mostly about us, but he starts it, of course, as everything should start with God. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There are many titles for God in the Bible, and John himself would give the most popular one later on in this book when he would say that God is love. If you were to talk to most people outside of the church or inside of the church, if you told them to fill in the blank and ask them, God is, what will almost all of them say? Love. Because that, again, is the favorite one. That's the feel-good one. And don't get me wrong, that is an incredibly crucial part of who God is. His love is what we read in John 3.16 in our scripture reading earlier, right? Of course that's a big part of who God is, but John saw fit in this book to say before he got to the God is love, he says God is light. We get to God being light before we get God being love. So I think that it's an important factor for us to understand what it means for God to be light in our lives, and then that will help us truly understand what it means for God to be love to us. Light here refers to God's, to God's perfect moral purity. John finishes the statement by saying that in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. Literally in the Greek, the, word, the translation there is, there is no darkness in him, none. Right Now, grammar teachers might not like the double negative there, but that's the best way to implicate that. There is no darkness in God, none, period. There is none there. He is the, uh, there's nothing negative about him. There's nothing wrong with him. There is nothing impure with God. He is perfection. He is the ultimate standard. And that can be a problem for us as humans because a lot of times we try to treat God as if he's like someone like us. Right? If you've come to some of our small groups, we had a whole small group lesson on this idea. The misconception that we try to make God to be like us. right? And we know, if we're being honest with ourselves, that there's always a little darkness in us. I'm a Star Wars fan. Have been for my whole life. right? And a lot of times we end up treating God kind of like this cosmic idea that Star Wars teaches. If you don't like Star Wars, I'm sorry. I'm a nerd. I like these things. But in Star Wars, there are two major sides at war with each other. There's the dark side and the 
light side, right? There's the bad guys, the Sith, and the good guys, the Jedi. When you follow the story, actually one of the, the main things that makes the good guys, the Jedi, end up losing is because they were convinced that they could be perfect. They were convinced that if they shut out the dark side completely, they could just be perfect in the light side, neglecting to see that everyone has a little bit of the dark side in them. And it was only when Luke Skywalker, the hero, right, ended up finding a balance between the two. He confronted his own darkness, and then he was able to win the battle and defeat the dark side, right? Except that's not how God works. We can't put these human ideas on God. See, it almost, it's not a perfect analogy in any way, but it works in a way with us. We do as humans, and we're going to get to this a lot in today's sermon, we have to recognize the darkness that is in our own hearts. We are all sinners. We all have a sin nature that is ingrained in us from the moment that we are born. We are all sinners. But unlike Star Wars, we're not trying to find a balance between the, dark, the darkness that's in us. We live to extinguish that darkness. The charge that the Bible gives us is to be holy as God is holy. We'll never attain perfection in this life, no, but that's our goal. And we're supposed to live in that goal. But that's not how God exists. There is no darkness that God is at war with. The only war that's happening is in our hearts. And here in our world, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, none. And when light shines in an area, what happens? If something's dark and you're going to shine a light in the area, it reveals what's there. We love playing a game in the youth group called Manhunt, right? Um, and I got to say, these students, we've only gotten to play it like one or two times, but they are really good at hiding, okay? Um, they can fit in some really tiny places, even over in the parsonage. But the way we play that game is they hide and we turn the lights out and the seeker just gets a phone screen light, right? And at first you think, man, that's not a lot of light. But when a room is pitch black, even a little bit of light will reveal what's there. That's what light does. You shine it into darkness and it reveals what's there. So I want to prepare us. Today's message from this point on, John is going to take this idea of God as light and he's going to shine it into our own lives and into our own hearts. And if you let it, it will reveal to us what's going on in our own hearts. And that's what we need, right? So John really makes my job easy from this point on, right? I always try to think when I'm preparing a sermon of concise points to make it an outline, to make it make sense. John made it really easy. After this, he gives us five different statements that all start with, if we, <laughs> right? He makes it real easy for us to follow. So we're going to look at these statements if we do this, what's the outcome? So let's look at these together. Here's the first one. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's a quick little recap from the last sermon we did in 1 John. The, we need to remember that there was a group of false teachers that John was specifically writing this book to combat against. They were known as the Gnostics. The Gnostics taught that everything physical is evil and wrong, and only the spiritual things are good. Well, this brought about two particular perversions of the ways that people should live and treat sin in their lives. And we're going to look at both of those throughout these if-we statements. The first 
perversion of this was this, that since the body is evil and we cannot be perfect until the afterlife anyway, then we are free to indulge in any manner of sinful acts while we live in these physical bodies. They literally taught that, hey, you know what? This physical body is evil and God gets that. He knows that until we're actually in heaven with him, it's impossible to be perfect, and he gets that. He's going to love us through it. So you know what? We might as well just indulge in whatever sinful things we want to now. It's okay. God understands, and he'll forgive us in the long run. This makes a lot of sense when you look historically and see some of the wicked things that even priests and religious people were doing in the churches back then. You think, why in the world would they do that? This is why. They thought that that was okay. Well, my physical body's evil anyway. They didn't take sin seriously. And this is what it means to walk in darkness. These people thought and taught that God understood the situation, so he overlooked their sins. However, that teaching clearly has to omit all of the Old Testament and the way God treated sin, right? God destroyed cities and even flooded the earth due to the sins of people. God takes our sins very seriously, and so should we. That idea of walking, that word walk in darkness is used in the perfect tense, and John's going to use that a number of times through this. That means it's an ongoing practice. If we are constantly living a life and making a habit out of walking in darkness, walking in sins, unrepented, then we don't have fellowship with God. We might try to say we do, but we can't have a closeness with God if we're going to be constantly practicing something different. I can't have a close relationship with my wife. <laughs> I, can tell her, I can tell people, she loves me. We're so close. We have such a good relationship when everyone sees that I spend no time with her, that I only talk down to her in front of other people, that I treat her badly wherever we are, I can say, we have a great relationship. <laughs> that doesn't make it true. And certainly no one's going to believe that. If we make a habit out of walking in sin, we don't have fellowship with God. Now do remember and note this, John doesn't say that it takes away our salvation with God. If you are truly a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. My sin doesn't take away the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, but it can hinder that closeness. I can't have that kind of intimacy with God that I'm supposed to have if I'm walking in sin. So if we try to say that we have fellowship with God, but we walk in sin, then we lie. And we don't practice the truth. Look at the second one. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all our sins. If we make a habit out of walking in sin and darkness, then we can't have that fellowship. So John tells us how to fix it. If we make a habit out of walking in the light of God, then we can experience that kind of fellowship even in our sin, even in our brokenness. Walking in light doesn't mean being perfect. It means we live our lives with nothing to hide. Light reveals what's hidden, right? We allow God's light to shine on every part of our lives all the time. When, like I thought about this example from when I was a kid or even now with Daniel, he's not doing great at cleaning up his messes yet, but every now and then he will. But you know, when like a parent, God comes to see if our room is clean, 
We shouldn't shove the things we missed under the rug and hope he misses them, right? No, with God, we leave it all out. Whatever we've missed, we lay it before God and let his light shine on it. Because the glorious thing about our God is that he doesn't look at that and then throw us out. He looks on it, he shines his light on it, and then he loves us. He corrects us. He shows us what we've missed and where our sins are, but he loves us. Imagine a life where you truly had nothing to hide. (laughs) Not just from God, but from each other. It says that if we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship with each other. It implies that we'll have fellowship with God, but we'll have fellowship with each other as well. And that's how we're supposed to feel with each other in the church body. Could that feel uncomfortable? (laughs) That we have nothing to hide, that we don't hide our sins from each other? Of course it's going to be uncomfortable. It will even feel shameful. It'll bring us to thoughts of how can I let God truly see the darkness in my heart and expect him to still love me, much less my church family. What are they going to think? What's God going to think? But it's that second part of that statement that rescues us. When we allow God to shine his light on our hearts, then we get to see his salvation. See, he doesn't just shine it and look at our filth and walk away. He cleanses us with the shed blood of Jesus. That's where we understand how God's light comes before, or with, not before, but with his love. He shines his light on our sins. We can't just live in sin and expect God's love to just be a part of who we are. No, let his light shine first on your sins. Allow him into those deepest parts of your heart, those deepest parts of your life, and then you'll experience what his love really feels like. So then he goes into another negative here. He says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If the, per- the first perversion of what the Gnostics were teaching was that since our bodies are evil, then we can just live in sin anyway and it'll be fine, the other perversion is the complete opposite. The other half, some of these people thought, well, hey, now that I'm a Christian, Jesus says I become a new creation. I'm born again, so now I'm a spiritual being, so now I'm perfect. I'm super Christian. Now I can do no more sin. Hey, you want to know how to be a good Christian? It's me. I'm perfect now. (laughs) What foolishness, we would say, right? To look at anyone that says, I would never sin. I never do anything wrong. We would say that's foolishness. But are some of us so different? Some of us have been saved for so long that sure, we agree we aren't actually perfect, but I wouldn't call myself a sinner. (laughs) right? That kind of word is used for those really bad people. You know, not me. I wouldn't call myself a sinner. That seems a little harsh. But if that thought's passed through your head, then you need to remind yourself, Mr. and Mrs. Sinner, (laughs) that we're also a sinner. (laughs) But praise God that we can be sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're all sinners in this room. Not a single one of you or me or Pastor Alex or even Jessica. None of us are perfect. (laughs) I know, sorry. All of us are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we have to acknowledge that sin. You know, one of my uh, favorite Bible professors from North Greenville University 
used to start every single one of his Old Testament classes like this. He would shuffle in. He was a little short, kind of heavy set dude. And he would just shuffle in and he'd go, good morning, sinners. Let's get started. And I always thought that was hilarious, right? So I actually adopted that. And for the uh, seven years that I taught uh, middle school Bible uh, at a Christian school, I started doing the same thing. So I'd walk into my eighth grade Old Testament class and I'd say, good morning, sinners, have a seat, let's get started. And I got a lot of responses over the years. My favorite, though, I would get it at least once or twice a year, that one kid would raise their hand and be like, "Uh, excuse me, Mr. Massey, you're a sinner too. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) You're exactly right. We're all sinners, so let's talk about that. (laughs) And let's talk about how Jesus saves us from that sin. We have to acknowledge our sin. It is a shameful thing to sin against God, but church, it's a wondrous thing to be a sinner saved by that same merciful God. Amen? So then he goes to that one of the most popular verses in the Bible. He gives us that next point. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession, right? We don't like that word. That word's right up there with sin, right? We don't like the word confession because it implies that we were wrong and we need fixing. And as people, we're really prideful and we don't like thinking about that. We don't like to confess to other people, much less to the holy God, than to go to him and say, hey, I messed up. But look, that's exactly what our role is in this. And we're called to confess to him, to open our hearts fully to God. Bring your sins before him. No, it won't be easy, but don't hold anything back from God. We can't hold anything back from God. If we try to hold anything back, he already knows it. He knows it's there. We have to be willing to reveal it, to open it up, to lay it before him, put it at his feet and hand it over to him. Because the Bible says that even if we confess a mountain's worth of sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And church, that's the glorious mystery of the gospel. This holy God that exists as perfect light reveals all of our stains and our dirt and our sin. He finds every secret sin we try to hide away, every addiction that we've hidden from others, every lie we've ever ever told, every little sin. Each one of those sins is enough to separate us from him forever. Each of those sins makes us deserving of his wrath. Just one of those sins makes us deserving of an eternity in hell And yet, and yet, God offers forgiveness for you. He offers forgiveness for me. He doesn't push us away. Like the prodigal son's father, Jesus comes to us, he loves us in our filth, and then he cleanses us. The blood of Jesus washes away all of our sins before the Father, and he loves us. You see, God shines his light on us. And he still loves us. God is light and God as love. And Christians, we're supposed to continue confessing. Yes, there's that first moment of confession where we lay our sins for the first time before the Father and accept Christ as our Savior. But to continue that closeness with God, Christian, we need to daily confess our sins before him. Not to re-attain salvation. No, I already have an assurance of my salvation, my placement before God in Jesus. But to keep that closeness with him, I need to always constantly be laying my sins before him. Father, I'm sorry. This is where I'm struggling. 
forgive me and help me. But then, sinner, if you're not a Christian this morning, I pray that you have experienced, that you will experience that love of God in your life. And if you haven't, then know that God is offering that love and forgiveness to you today. Place your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ and give your life over to him. Do your sins need to be washed away like it says in this passage? Then as that old wonderful song sings, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of of Jesus. Now it feels like the sermon should end there, right? John ends it on a nice happy note, but it doesn't. John hits us with his harshest statement yet to close it out, and so we must do the same. He ends it with this, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow, <laughs> that we make God a liar, which is an impossible task, by the way. <laughs> I fear that there may be some listening here or online or wherever that even after all of this may still think that this isn't really for them. Jordan doesn't actually know me. I'm a good person. I'm not really a sinner. John writes that if we say that, we're making God a liar and his word is not in us. How dare any of us look at the perfect, holy God and say, nope pretty sure you're wrong, God. (laughs) I'm not actually a sinner. I'm not actually that bad of a person. I know you're God, but have you seen me? I'm not that bad. What arrogance. (laughs) What pride. And surely if we believe that, then God's word is not in us because God's word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does, does good and never sins. Those are the words of God. So why do so many say otherwise with our thoughts and with our lives? Why do we act that way sometimes? Because that's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. What's one of the most famous titles for Satan? He's the father of lies. Did you notice how often John uses the topic of truth and deception in this passage? We lie. We deceive ourselves. We do not practice the truth. The truth is not in us. We make God a liar. See, Satan would love nothing more than for you to walk away from this message thinking you are A-OK. For you to just walk out of here continuing to lie to yourself and even try to lie to God and say, nope, everything's hunky-dory. I'm OK. I'm a good person. I don't need to confess. I don't even need salvation, really. I'm not even a sinner. John ends by reminding us In very harsh terms here, that's not how this works. But I want to remind us that even through that, God offers his grace. So if you're a Christian here today, praise God that you don't have to worry about your sins separating you from God's grace, but I want you to examine your heart. Are there sins in your life that you have not confessed that are hindering your closeness with him? Use today to confess those to him. We're about to go into a time of the Lord's Supper where we're commanded that before we take of that um, time together, of the bread and of the cup, that we need clean hearts. Use this time to confess those sins before him. And if you're not a Christian, then don't believe that big lie from Satan that you're too sinful for God to save you. Open your heart and let God's light Shine on your sins 
so you can really feel what his love is like. Whichever it is, let's get that settled today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that even though we are children of darkness,